From the UTRGV School of Medicine, this is the Wellness Podcast. In this episode, we get to sit down with Sonia and Niti and discuss the peculiar conundrum of specialty indecision. And with that, I give you our next episode. So welcome back. This is another episode of our wellness podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Niti and Sonia joining us. And today we're going to be tackling a really peculiar conundrum as far as what to do if you're stuck trying to decide between two specialties. And so I'm going to talk as little as I can because it has been a long time since I picked out what it is that I'm going to do. And I want our listeners to get the most they possibly can, especially if they face a similar situation. So ladies, welcome. Hi. Nice to see everyone or I guess listen to everyone. (laughs) Um, I'm Sonia. I'm a third year medical student. And I I'm, kind of want, I'm oh, sorry. No, you're fine. I'm Nithi. I'm also a third year medical student. Um, and so we kind of had this idea of talking about, you know, picking between two specialties and breaking the stereotypes of specialties because we ourselves went through this conundrum as you described. Um, and so we just wanted to talk about it because I know this is an issue for a lot of medical students. There are some students that come into med school knowing exactly what they want to do and they somehow end up doing it, which is great. But there's a lot of, I'd say the majority of students come in not knowing what they want to do or picking between two or changing throughout their course of medical, of their medical school career. So we wanted to go through that and provide some insight that it's okay and you'll figure it out at the end of the day. Yeah. And to add on to what Sonia said, I think the reason that we really wanted to do this podcast was because all of these decisions kind of happen pretty quickly. Like during the end of your third year, it's like for the first time you've done all these rotations, you think everything's cool or you think a lot of things are cool. And suddenly it almost feels like you're forced to decide your whole life in like a very short amount of time. So we just want to break down our thoughts and our research and just our experiences mixed with Dr. Escalona's experiences and just, I don't know, share with you all that it's normal and we can all just figure it out together. So I guess the first thing we could talk about is our own personal experience. So I came into uh, medical school thinking I wanted to do orthopedic surgery. That was kind of my thing in first year. And now when I think about it, I'm like embarrassed to think about it because I really thought I was going to end up doing it. I, you know, did a research summer on it. I spent a lot of time um, wanting to go into it, talking to program directors. Um, But somehow towards the end of my summer research program, I had seen probably like 30 to 40 ortho cases. And I just felt really bored at the end of it. And the other thing I I realized was, you know, and this goes to the stereotypes thing that we're going to talk about is it's really a male dominated field. And so there was a point where I was the only female in the OR, like the only female, there was no female techs, no female um, nurses, no female like x-ray techs or anything like that. Uh, I was the only female at that time. And that was really shocking to me. I didn't know if I wanted to be in an environment that was like that. And, you know, I no discredit to the field. I know they're really trying to get more women involved. And I think that's great. But for me personally, I didn't want to be 
at the forefront of that. I wanted to be in a field that was already accepting of women and already had a great deal of women involved. So that was kind of my issue as to why I didn't want to go into it um, as well. Um, And then, you know, moving through third year, I was thinking of what I really liked. And I knew I had some interest in women's health. I also knew I liked internal medicine just because it was pure medicine. Um, And so that was kind of my big, my big issue. I went through OB. I loved, loved, loved OB. But then once again, I got hit with another stereotype of, dang, do I really want to be on call the rest of my life? Like, do I really want to have to wake up at 2am just to deliver this person's baby? You know, do I want to be like, you know, that saying where they're not real surgeons, like they're doing crude surgery. I, I didn't know if I wanted to be entitled to those stereotypes. And then I went through I am and I really liked I am as well. But I knew in my heart that OB was still my number one, but I had reservations with all those stereotypes. Um, and now flash forward, we're at the end or flash, yeah, flash forward, we're at the end of third year. And I really just recently in the past month officially decided that I wanted to do OB. I talked to a lot of people and a lot of mentors telling me that, you know, and we'll get to this later, that you can make what you want of your specialty. So after, you know, learning about that, I realized, you know, I, OB is it, is the one for me and I wanted to, to pursue that. So that's kind of my story. Uh, I'm sure Niti has a little bit different, but hers is just as important. Yeah. Thanks for sharing Sonia. So basically for me, and I'll try to make it quick so we can talk about more things, but um, my, like the whole reason I chose medicine to begin with is because my grandma, when I was really little, when I was seven, she had a stroke in India and she was in a coma for 24 days. And that just like brought so many questions in my mind. Like what's a stroke? What happened to her brain? Why isn't she moving? Why is she alive? Like, so that's like what brought me into medicine. And over time, like I got into med school, you know, I went through all my classes. I fell in love with everything. Like I forgot that I had just like gotten in because I loved the brain and like neurology. And like, I was curious about strokes. I think just with all this information overload, I was like, Ooh, I think the heart's cool. Ooh, I think this cool. My whole life, I loved kids. So I I went in really thinking that I would do pediatrics. And I guess it wasn't until I started my rotations. Like I loved everything. I loved, I absolutely loved my pediatrics rotation on my last day though. What, interesting that this happened. They let me go to the morgue to see a brain autopsy of a little kid. And I was just like, in my mind, something was flashing like, oh my God, like, I love this. Like, I love this neuro case. I also tended to choose all of the neuro related cases when I was at Driscoll, like this kid who had like bacterial meningitis. Like I was like, I want that one. And I didn't realize that I would always do this in every single rotation. Um, When I went into IM, that's when I realized that, oh my gosh, I think I really like talking to adults too. Like, it's not just kids. Like I love old people and I love, like, I love all ages. So I was like, oh no, like, should I like confine myself to just kids? Or I really feel myself relating to these adults who are like scared. And I feel like I can explain their pathology to them and really help them. Also, I had my best friends on my IM rotation. Like Sonia was there with me. Some of my other friends, I love my attendings and my residents. So I feel like that whole environment just made me feel like happy to go into like work every day. 
So I was like, I think I like internal medicine. Like Sonia said, it's a little bit of everything. You can see adults, you can see like a whole broad range of people, broad range of conditions, work in a team. So I kind of liked that too. And then after I am, I was like, that's it. I'm doing I am. And then during my surgery rotation, I picked like the neurosurgery sub eye or sorry, subspecialty. And I got to see, I was lucky enough that here at Valley Baptist, we have like this amazing um, vascular stroke center. And oh my gosh, I was just like, wow, how like every single rotation I'm seeing, but I like it and there's something cool in it. And this is like near the end of third year, but I was like, wow, I can't imagine not, you know, looking into this new field in more depth with like strokes and I don't know, all of that stuff. It all just connected in my mind. And I was like, why did I never really consider neurology? Like, it's the whole reason I started medicine. I have such a, like, I have more interest in these cases than I do for other medical topics. So yeah, that happened, I guess, in February. And then I just decided to scrap my research block and do do a neuroelective and I liked it. But now I'm still confused because I'm like, I don't know, like, what if I saw something else and I liked that too? So that's where I'm at right now. But I, I I do think that overall I'm more happier with or more happy with this decision, but we'll see. So I'm going to say really quickly, a lot of medical students kind of like struggle with this very thing. So I'm going to make a little, a quick plug. I promise girls, I'll be quiet after this, but a quick plug for what careers in medicine do for you guys. So in the double AMC, um, website. And we, we recommend that you do like these assessments, um, that are online the way, the best way, because I'm old that I think about them is kind of like evidence-based Cosmo quizzes and Cosmo. There used to be a magazine called Cosmopolitan. I don't even know if it's around anymore, but it used to be like, take this quiz and find out blah, 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 whatever, who your perfect sign is. I mean, and of course, obviously those things are not evidence-based, but it kind of like tries to help you think, And like tease out what it is that you want to get out of life. And I know that it is such a heavy decision. So like somebody like me that likes everything. I mean, honestly, I think you're going to be happy with whatever you pick. You will find interest and challenge in whatever it is that you pick. But there's also a really cool assessment that we kind of discussed before we got started here as far as um, indecision. And so there's like different little scales and assessments on the Careers in Medicine website that are geared toward what do you want to get out of life? So to Sonia's point, who is considering OB-GYN, right? And she's like, oh my God, their lifestyles suck. It sucks. And I mean, and that is a very real thing as far as like lifestyle and work-life balance, right? Because these things are ridiculously important. If you're going to work in a community where you're the only game in town, then that actually becomes a very real concern. And I will give you a good case in point. My intern, well, former intern, um, she she's actually a practicing pediatrician here, and I went to her wedding. She married an OB-GYN doctor, and this OB-GYN doctor told her point blank that he was going to retire at the age of 45. Turns out he wasn't kidding. He was, an, I know, right? That's what I said. I'm like, man, that is something else. That's hardcore, right? You're like, I am out, and this is this is all you get. But the thing is, is that he didn't conserve himself. So like he was by himself, he was in a solo practice. So he was taking call at the time he was running to the hospital at two o'clock in the morning to deliver somebody's baby. And I mean, he freaking burned out. Yeah, I get it. If you were running yourself into the ground, yeah, 45, you're going to check out. And now he's a real estate agent. 
That's right. <laughs> a real estate agent. <laughs> um, I, I don't even know what to say to that. But the thing is, is that if we'd strategized and thought a little bit more about like how how you want your practice to be, how you see your life. Like, do you plan to have kids? Do you want to hang out with them? Um, or do you want to like just be hardcore and just into medicine? Um, you have to like figure these out. And those, and those assessments are just really, really important because it helps you figure out, do you like prestige? Do you want tons of money? Is that important to you? And I famously always said, pediatricians are terrible at like being after money because we just want to keep the lights on and have like a dry place to live. Um, and so, because money is not really like a driver for us at all, which is why we're the worst paid specialty. So it's, you have to weigh all of these things out. And those assessments really do help you like sit down and break it down. What's important to you and how do you see your life unfolding? I'm going to be quiet now. No, I am 100% agree. And like we were kind of discussing before, I, for me personally, I remember doing it at the beginning of medical school, but I feel like we evolved so much over the, these course of the years and you really understand like as interests versus balancing interests with what lifestyle you want. You know, I feel like at the beginning, you're just so focused on your interests or what you think you'll be good at. So I think it's important for us to remind ourselves and our colleagues to like keep taking that or do it as truthfully as you think you can. Okay, so we wanted to, you know, preface this by saying we are going to talk about stereotypes. And once again, these are just stereotypes. These are not, you know, what actually the field entails. This is not exactly what the personalities of these physicians entails. We just want to mention these stereotypes of a few specialties just because I know a lot of people can be hesitant to join a certain field because of this perceived um, vision that they have. Uh, of, of this of this field, so you know, there's some examples that we uh, we found on on that I found on like certain websites. Um, how like I am doctors, they're like kind of your default doctors, and they like to talk more instead of do more. Or you know, neurosurgeons have this like God complex, and it's like that famous saying, "How do you know if a neurosurgeon is in the room?" Well, easy, they would have already told you. Or, you know, EM doctors are like thrill seekers, whereas radiologists and pathologists are introverted and lack social skills. Um, uh, there's also the idea that psych psychiatrists aren't real doctors, but, you know, you don't really realize how much medical management actually goes into psychiatry. So there's just a lot of stereotypes that unfortunately do prevent people from going into that field. And I think that was a big thing for me, as I mentioned earlier, OB-GYNs, you know, their stereotype is their life is on call. Um, I, you know, I worked with a few doctors in, in Harlingen and, you know, they, <laughs> the nurses would always ask them like, oh, are you on call today, sir? And he's like, I'm always on call. Like, why are you asking me that? <laughs> you know, so while that is true, um, I think one thing to, to note is um, the field is what you make it. Um, you know, I've talked to a doctor where he owned his own private practice. He's been here the past 40 years and does, has done everything entirely on his own. And if you were to ask his kids like, hey, like, was your dad involved in your life? They would have said no. But then I, at the same time, I talked to another physician where, you know, he worked through the university. He had scheduled calls. Um, you know, he prioritized his family life over work. And so if you were to ask his kids, 
if they ever saw him, they would say, yes, dad was always there. He was always at every game. He picked me up from school. So I think it really is what you make it. While the first physician might be making more money because he, he's doing everything on his own, uh, he did have to sacrifice his, his, his time with his children. And the second you know, doctor, while he did probably make less money, he valued being with family and doing things with his outside life more. And you know, that's something, a decision that is entirely up to you. And that's also something that I think is important to talk about because your field in medicine is not static. So just because you decide right now, if you're young, like, hey, I want to work all the time, you know, and I want to do everything on my own. That doesn't mean you have to be like that the rest of your life. You know, if say at some point, you know, I'm young right now. I I want to probably work hard in the beginning, but, you know, as I get children and as I um, get married and all that stuff, I probably will prioritize family over that. So maybe the field of, or the vision of my practice or how I want to work is going to change. So I think that's really important for people to notice, uh, think about is, you know, don't let these stereotypes impact how you want to work because it's entirely up to you and what you value at the end of the day. Yeah, just to add on to that, like even more than general stereotypes, I know one issue that like a lot of my classmates and I have been facing is just like our experience, like our unique experiences in each rotation. Um, Just like the personalities of the residents that we're working with or the personalities of the attendings or the specific hospital that we're in, like, it just influences you so much. Um, So some people I know, like, maybe they like the field, but just because of their experience with certain, like the people they were with, they were deterred from it. And I feel like that's a really interesting challenge that we face because, I don't know, you have to just kind of separate the field from the people. And that's kind of hard to do. Like, if you didn't have a good experience psychologically, you're like, no. I don't know. It's an interesting challenge. I don't know what your your guys' thoughts is on that, but I guess we just have to trust our gut and just balance the interest versus lifestyle. Do as much research as we can. Definitely. I think like for example, I when I was a just a plain pediatric hospitalist and I wasn't this is was before the school was ever here and this is before you guys were ever here. Um I I I faced that exact problem, right? Like I was in a, I'm going to say like medium group of physicians and, and here in the Valley. And again, like where you're going to practice or where you sell, where you see yourself later on is, is ridiculously important because like as a pediatric hospitalist, I do 24 hours of a worth of call. So like, even now I still do 24 hours worth of call, but it's like back to back. So if you see me looking a little ragged, sleep deprived and crazy looking, now, you know why, because I do like back-to-back calls. So it'll be sometimes like 72 hours. And so, and I don't mind. Oh yeah, no girl. That's not legal. I wish, oh no girl, we could have a whole other podcast about how residents time is now protected, which back in my day, it wasn't. No, no, there's no work hour restrictions, madam. Like it just is. There's not enough doctors to go around. I wish there were, we need more of you. Um, which is why I'm so excited that you guys are even here. So when I was just a plain Jane hospitalist, I mean, I was tired. And really the tipping point was when I had my first son and I'm on call 
and I'm trying to listen to what my nurse is saying on the phone. And she's trying to tell me what problems she's having at three o'clock in the morning. And I have a baby in my arms who's screaming bloody murder at the same time. And my nurse is like, doctor, I can't hear you. I'm like, yeah, no, you totally can't. I don't know when you're going to hear me because this baby's never going to settle down. And that was just like a moment where I was like, oh my God, like what, what am I doing? And so I ended up switching my job to being here um, at student health where I wasn't on call anymore. I could focus on my babies and then I moonlighted in the hospital. So I just decreased the amount of shifts that I was doing. So it wasn't so before, in case you're wondering what my schedule was, it was seven on seven off. So it's seven days of 24 hour call back to back where you're just like, I don't even know where I am anymore. And then, and then, and then you got the days off. But the thing is like the kicker in that, like whenever you guys get out there, no one understand those seven days, you are exhausted. So like, even to this day, my favorite thing in the whole wide world is to put like something binge worthy, like on freaking Netflix or whatever. And I am in my pajamas and I'm not getting out of my pajamas until I feel like I'm like recovered and okay. So every, if I look ragged now, you know why. And, (laughs) but it's, it's decreased. And so now my job is like crazy cool. So I joined you guys because I believe in the mission of the school. I do want you to join me and I want you to make the healthcare of this community or wherever you're going better. And then I also still get to be a hospitalist where I get to fix little kids in the hospital and it makes my day. So that whole evolution is absolutely what it is that you're seeing. You can tailor it to whatever it is that you want. And I mean, I can't tell you how many people are like coming out of residency now and they're like, you know what? I'm willing to work part-time and that's all you're getting. And so that's fine. My best friend who's an anesthesiologist an anesthesiologist famously also have, because obviously ob lady, somebody has to knock those people out to do whatever it is that they're going to do. Um, they have horrible schedules. And so she takes a pay cut Mind you, it's still more than what I make, but she takes a pay cut and she only does orthopedic cases and it's day surgeries only. So she checks in at like, whatever they check in like at four o'clock in the morning. And then, but she's like done by one o'clock in the afternoon or noon or whatever. And then she can be with her kids. So yeah, I don't know why the the starts times for surgeries are, 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 you know, because people are MPO and they're hungry and you got to accommodate them. But yeah, 4 a.m that you said that though because you I one of the reasons that one of our close friends want is thinking about anesthesiology is because he likes their schedule or he thought that maybe they have a good schedule so it's like interesting how some people perceive it or you just said that your friend has a crazy horrible schedule so it's true but I mean like no like there's still anesthesiologists that take call because I mean when I'm on call and I get a call from the ER like saying that there's a kid with acute appendicitis or a kid with like really crazy fractures there's an anesthesiologist that has to come in, <laughs> help that guy out so that, you know, you can put him to sleep, not remember what's about to happen to him and then wake up safely. And, and you know, whenever the procedure is done. So no, there's, I think there's certainly, we're, we're, we're getting to be in medicine where we understand and know that you can't just run yourself into the ground. Right. And so that seven on and seven off situation that I had was running me into the ground. And so even though you had a week off, it was not a week off. And so I think we're, we're getting to be more proactive, but I love that you said, is that legal? 
yeah, nurses have uh, <laughs> nurses have safeguards in place where they don't work more than 12 hours. They even have like a hotline. Do you know that? They have a hotline they can call so that if they're like kept over or if they're sleepy or they're working in unsafe conditions, it's called safe harbor in case you're wondering, so that they can report the hospital for unsafe working conditions. I remember once, oh my God, I like went off on a nurse manager because I was, I think this was like day like six of like 24 hours worth of call. And I ended up coming into round because, I mean, I did not get any sleep. And so I didn't start rounds until like 10 or 1030. Okay. It was late. Understand this. And so she's like, oh my God, you didn't start your rounds. It's eight. It's, it's, it's late and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, you know what? I go understand. I have been on for 20, like however many hours straight that was, and I need to sleep. So unless you think I need to start hurting people here by making mistakes and you guys have to watch me like a hawk, you're going to have to bend your brain around that we're running a little late this morning. She just like looked at me. She probably wanted to kill me. But but yeah, she was not happy with me. So like, yeah, is it safe? Is it legal? No. So like I, there's like a whole, this could be like a whole other podcast as far as like, you know, we need to have similar protections to what the nurses have, but we, we don't because we're not, we're not organized by any, and that, that goes way beyond what we're talking about. So just know that you can weigh things out, look at things and, and tailor your, your schedule. Because like right now, because I get to hang out with you guys, my job is never the same every day. And I love that. Like I'm recording a podcast today and then, you know, this weekend I'll be at the hospital. And so I never get bored. And it's really, really cool. I, I, I adore working for the school, so I can't say enough good things. Um, but you can tailor your life to how you want it to be and still like find what you do to be fulfilling and stimulating. I love that you were able to add a story to that because like the thing we can say whatever we want, but having an actual story like really helps. So thank you for that. <laughs> of course. I mean, I mean, as you're getting out there, I mean, I hope but more than anything, it gives you like perspective. Right. I've been doing, I graduated from my residency in like 2007 and I, you didn't have this kind of like guidance back in my day. Like you just had to like figure it out. There's like no assessments, like nobody talked to you. You just had to like figure things out. I even remember because we had PBL. And so my mentor was um, an infectious disease doctor and she's amazing. Her name is Dr. Judith Rowan. Um, and I, I sent her an email because I was like, hey, I want to be a pediatrician, but I don't really know what to do or how to go about this. And luckily I was able to identify her, but like I had to go out of my way to like hunt her down, kind of like stalk her. That, that, that was uncomfortable. We don't, we don't like that. <laughs> we don't want you stalking anybody. And then bonus, I don't know if we <laughs> told you guys, um, we have now, I mean, obviously I think you guys have probably identified people that you want to talk to in terms of career development. We now have like dedicated career advisors, which is great because my like goal is to get them to kind of like make sure that you have, you know, that you do those assessments because people forget just kind of like you guys did. Right. And you're maybe going to go back and do them. We don't know. (laughs) We will see. Um, But they make sure that, you know, you're doing the things that you need to do to figure out what it is that you're going to do when you get out of here. And then also make sure that you're like taking care of yourself. So you'll check in with like a nice faculty like me you know, once a semester to make sure that you're doing everything and you're on track. And if you have like any questions at all about anything, you can, you can ask us. And so I'm really excited that the school 
did that for us because that was really, really right. important. Like before it was just like on a voluntary basis and it was difficult to accomplish, but now we have a dedicated crew. And so they're going to be not like not stalking you, but <laughs> like making sure that you guys are doing what it is that you need to do to kind of like tease these things out. Yeah. No, that's yeah. awesome. That's speaking a great of, resource. Speaking of some nice faculty, I don't know, Sonia, if you want to give a certain shout out to one of our, oh, yes. one of our nicest. I've heard we've had an international following on this podcast. And so I want to give a shout out to Dr. Andres Holdens Holzenberg. Uh, he was our f- amazing faculty over here at UTRGV School of Medicine, and I can't thank him enough for all the guidance and mentorship he provided me and Nithi and I'm sure plenty of other students. So thank you, Dr. Holzenberg. We love you and we miss love you. you. You're a little ray of sunshine, and we always remember you, always every day when we're at school. We miss your energy here. No kidding. And so we we figured out who our German follower was, and so... He's back in Germany and we miss him dearly. So yeah, no, I echo that. Well, very good (laughs) ladies. Is there anything else that you wanted to address or talk about or say to your fellow students now that you were so knowledgeable and you're entering, you know, your fourth year? You know, I think the best thing you could do for yourself is just be an advocate for yourself. You know, do what you think feels right. Do what you need to do in order to get your answers. I think, for example, like Neethi taking that, that really quick decision to, to swap her research block for a neuro block was probably one of the best decisions she could have done. You know, she could have gotten like a four week vacation, but she instead decided to, to pursue something that could possibly change her life. And I'm so glad that she did. Um, so that goes for anyone. Uh, make sure you, t- you know, do the decisions that you think would help out the most for your future, because the only one that's going to be there for you is yourself at the end of the day. I completely agree. Talk to people like Dr. Escalona, find mentors, advocate for yourself, go on YouTube. There's so many channels like 20, like 70 questions with the neurologist, 70 questions with the OBGYN and just do whatever you can to just find your call and just know that there are people out there that are willing to help you along the way. And everyone exactly. goes through this. Exactly. And I think on YouTube, there's also like med school insiders. So they have a series called like, so you want to be an anesthesiologist or whatever. And so they'll kind of tell you, it's a good understanding of what the specialties do, how much they get paid, the work-life balance and how to get there. So there's plenty of resources out there. Take that careers in medicine quiz. uh, And I guess we should take that advice ourselves too. And um, I just hope that it says what I want. <laughs> I know. That's not the goal. That's not the goal. <laughs> yeah. Just be truthful with yourself and, and advocate for yourself is the biggest thing. Don't worry, Nithi. I'm sure it's going to be just fine. Mine still says I want to be a pediatrician. Mine just says I want to be a pediatrician. <laughs> <laughs> How do I like old people? Well, no, oh, it's no. so like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna tell you, you should be a geriatrician, which is very similar to pediatric. So, you know, I'm trying to child neuro too. So I'll keep you updated. We'll have to update people on another podcast to see what ends up happening here. And so I'm just also going to put out as a disclaimer, please be wary of the Reddit. 
Miss uh, Sahar Panjwani, a fourth year medical student who will be graduating this weekend. Uh, I had no idea the Reddit even existed. And so just understand, like, as medical students, you guys are, like, competitive. And I understand that other schools are, like, in this crazy, like, cutthroat environment. I swear to God, I think these people are the ones that are, like, typing up, like, I have 500 interviews and everybody's dying to get me. Do not believe any of that. Talk to us. Don't look at the Reddit because it just makes you feel bad. And if you're like wondering like if that stuff still exists even in my world, I'm going to say yes. There's like a financial oh like gosh. group of docs. No, this is the honest <laughs> to God truth. And so like there's like a financial like so that you're more financially savvy with your money as I'm famously terrible with mine. Um, there's like docs out there that like put like anonymous posts on Facebook because know that we're old. And so we use Facebook. Um, and they're like, I have $14 million and I need to savvy up on my investments. And I'm like looking at this and I'm like, is this real? Listen, uh, I don't, I don't, it's, I just scroll on by. So just please understand as medical students, you're competitive. And I wish that went away when you turn into me and you're older, right? No, it doesn't. Cause then you have these people that are like, I have $14 million and I don't know what to do with it. Listen. Don't, it's not a competition. This is not a competition. It's about you. It's about you and making sure that you get into the residency that you want to get into. And so another thing most students don't know, sometimes you really can't make up your mind and you do those assessments and you are tied between two different ones. You can apply to two different ones, just so you know. So yes. So I just want to throw that out there. I want to thank you, ladies, for taking the time in your busy schedule to chat with us. We'll have to do a follow-up podcast to see how you did and how you found the residency application process and what you did. We also have our podcast that I just put out yesterday on our post-match forum if you want to listen to the fourth years that have actually gone through it. But we'll follow up with Nithi and Sonia. Well, thank you, ladies, for joining us. We appreciate you. Thank you for having us. This is so much fun. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.